A legacy fashion house is a fairy tale come to life. Runway shows invite audiences into fantasy worlds where inventively constructed pieces inspire wonder and hint at the characters who might wear them. When I think back about the house of Balenciaga in 1997, I would say that it was a sleeping beauty. Once upon a time, Cristobal Balenciaga's couture house was a leader in fashion, widely considered a benchmark of haute couture since its Paris opening in 1937. But after Balenciaga closed his atelier in 1968, the once iconic fashion house lost the world's attention as if it had been put under a spell and fallen into a slumber. There was no evil witch in the story of Balenciaga, only that with time, people had forgotten about the magic that the fashion house had once cast. The brand really became sleepy and, you know, fusty. It was sort of your grandmother's couture clothes for a young person who was getting interested in fashion in the 90s. Who awakened Sleeping Beauty with a kiss? A brilliant and charming prince. In this case, Nicolas Guesquier. Nicolas put Balenciaga back on the map in such a kind of major and incredible way in the 2000s. Every season was different. You could have like an 18th century romantic look and you could have a glam rock look and you could have a sci-fi look and you could have a sort of couture look but mixed with like a hippie sandal. He really set the tone and it was really exciting to see. Nicolas Guesquier restored Balenciaga to its former glory and then went above and beyond in taking it to new global heights. He awakened the atelier and made it one of the biggest fashion influences of the decade. Welcome to In Vogue, the 2000s, a podcast about the decade that ushered in a new millennium and redefined boundaries in fashion and society. Alongside fashion leaders, cultural icons and Vogue's editorial team, we'll dissect the decade's most impactful style moments and how they've shaped our culture today. I'm Anna Winter. And I'm your host, Hamish Bowles. Nicola would eventually be the one to reintroduce Balenciaga to the world. But long before that time came, he drew inspiration as a young designer from Cristobal Balenciaga's artistry. It was a place that I was totally fascinated by, but I had no idea an opportunity was going to be there for me. This is Nicolas Guesquier, former creative director of Balenciaga. When I start to have this passion for, you know, couture and fashion and clothes and doing my own, you know, research as a kid, as a teen, I discovered the work of Cristobal Balenciaga and I was immediately stunned by his aesthetic and how timeless it was. It became almost an obsession, you know, the, the way his work has introduced so many new aesthetic rules that we are still, you know, thinking about today. The interesting thing about Cristobal Balenciaga's sense of volume and sense of shape and sense of construction was that it was rooted in history, but also had this incredible sense of looking to the future and looking forward. This is Vogue's fashion news director, Mark Holgate. So the shapes had a kind of sense of sculptural dynamism and movement to them, which was very rare. I mean, he was someone who 
was tethered to history and then so completely untethered to it and went spiraling into the future to think about the shapes of his collections, of his work. Cristobal Balenciaga's influence reverberated through the fashion world, even when the couture house had closed. Nicola took inspiration from Balenciaga's historic collections as an up-and-coming designer and was able to find a freelance role at the fashion house. A very good friend of me, Pierre Hardy, was informed that they were looking for someone to design collections that were at the time called the license, which were not at all the most prestigious collection. They were very specific, like wedding dress, uh, golf wear. So it was not exactly the most uh, attractive way to, you know, enter into the world of, of Balenciaga. So this job was not a full-time one. I was supposed to be there a couple of days in the week. I just said to Pierre, okay, I'm, I'm going to apply because I really want to put a step in that house and see how it is in real. And with luck, I would be able to see archives and to see the work of Cristobal Balenciaga in real and not behind a window on a museum. They asked me to design a few dresses to put on the store, the only store they had. And uh, I think I did 25 dresses. They sold the dresses quickly. <laughs> and so it was a sign that, you know, they, they, something was could be a possibility for me. And also the previous designer was at the end of his contract and they were looking for someone famous to replace him. They wanted a big star of fashion. I remember the names were very overwhelming for me, you know. Uh, they were talking about Helmut Lang, talking about Yoji Yamamoto. I mean, it was just, you know, expecting to maybe have the chance to be an assistant in the studio. But the story <laughs> turned very differently when I guess no one has agreed to do the job. <laughs> and so uh, they finally asked me to do an in-between season to give them more time to look for someone. And of course, I agreed right away. It was around this time that Nicola met Inez van Lamsveld, a Dutch fashion photographer who, along with her partner, Vinoud Matadin, has worked with everyone from large brands like Christian Dior to celebrities like Rihanna. We met Nicola through a friend and he had just done one collection and we had a shoot with Madonna for Spin magazine and Ariane Phillips was styling it and we said to Ariane you know we met this kid in Paris and he makes really incredible clothes so we brought his stuff from Balenciaga of course Madonna loved it we shot her in it and she the next day wore one of his dresses to the Golden Globes it was a big break for Nicola because, you know, he was supposed to be sort of the fill-in designer until they had a bigger one for Balenciaga. And then, you know, with all that publication coming out, they understood that he was a keeper. The powers that be at Balenciaga detected some potential in Nicola. And after what was supposed to be his temporary stint, while they looked for a big-name designer to step in, they offered Nicola a more lasting role as creative director. It was to be for six months and it lasts 16 years. At the time, the idea of a young designer taking over a fashion house was still a relative novelty. Here's global director of Vogue Runway, Nicole Phelps. It was the beginning of the rise of LVMH and the rise of 
PPR, which is now called caring, and the beginning of the habit of hiring young gun fashion designers to take over flagging heritage houses. And pre-Nicola going to Balenciaga, you had John Galliano going to Givenchy and then quickly moving over to Dior and Alexander McQueen going to Givenchy and probably almost simultaneously, Marc Jacobs, an American, going to Louis Vuitton. In taking a chance with a young designer like Nicola, Balenciaga gave themselves the opportunity to reorient themselves with a fresh perspective. With the creative director position in hand, Nicola reached out to his friend and advisor, former French Vogue editor, Mariam Lissauvé. When the big job at Balenciaga, the job of creative director happened, it was important for me to have her point of view on the beginning of my career, of my work. That's like more than 20 years of fantastic collaboration since. With his longtime collaborator at his side, Nicola felt that the moment was right to make his mark on the fashion world. What I felt is that this there was a jolt of creative energy coming to Paris in different houses like Dior or Vuitton, and that was giving a green light in a way for more expression and more international vision, and Paris needed that so bad. Balenciaga, in particular, needed fresh energy, and for that, they turned to Nicola. Here's Vogue editor Nicole Phelps. He had a, a bit of a different role, which was really sort of resurrecting something out of the past that uh, wasn't in people's minds. People weren't used to seeing Balenciaga advertisements when they, when they looked through a fashion magazine or when they saw fashion billboards. I knew it was a jewel, of course, but I knew it was also a bit forbidden, a bit underestimated. My mission was, of course, to express my point of view, but also to contribute to give back to this house the consideration it deserved. Mariam Lissauvé saw Nicolas rise to the challenge by trusting his own instincts early on. I think what was amazing for me is that Nicolas immediately put his stamp on the brand, which uh, was extremely uh, personal to him. I was 25. I was thinking that if I was in that position, the point of view they wanted to have was of a 25-year-old guy. And I was trying to never forget that, to not try to be, to be older, try to make people think I was more maybe professional at the time, that I had more experience because it would have been a lie. And I just wanted to be very honest with my intuition, with the spontaneity. So it was a great feeling to do those, you know, first shows and those first research. As a young designer, Nicola honoured the past while not beholden to it. Fueled by inspiration, he kept his focus on the future. This is Mark Holgate. I think from the very beginning, Nicola understood the power of silhouette, the power of sculpture, and the power of volume. All of those three things were so intrinsic to the world of Cristobal Balenciaga, to aesthetic, the way he thought about shaping fashion, literally shaping fashion. I think Nicola was not someone who spent a lot of time looking back, though. Because after I 
was able to access to the archive. I appreciated it, of course, but I was also, I took the decision to close the door and not come back for a long time because I was scared to take the habit of go back to the archives and study too much and try to replicate or do a mimic of something that is impossible to reproduce. This is Led Borelli Person, Vogue's archive editor. Because he was dealing with the past, people wanted old Balenciaga, you could have it. But what was really exciting was the new Balenciaga, Nicholas Balenciaga, that reflected different aspects of his personality and personal interests. Nicholas' eclectic intellectual interests range from architecture to 18th century philosophy to cinema. Of all of his diverse sources of inspiration, one of Nicolas' deepest and most persistent loves is for science fiction. Over the years, Mariam Lissauvé helped facilitate the translation of Nicolas' obsession into his work. He created uh, during his childhood and uh, throughout his adolescence a very vast and personal universe which is uh, unique to him. He's fascinated by science fiction, for sure. And he's always telling me uh, that his dream would be to see aliens uh, land on Earth before he dies. One of the most famous science fiction franchises of all time was a direct influence on Nicolas' work, Star Wars. Here's Mark Holgate. If you think about Princess Leia with that draped white jersey dress, if you look at some of Nicolas' collections in the late 90s, you would see that same draped jersey kind of technique used. I think he's had this very interesting ability to look at the past, whether it's his own past and his own obsessions like Star Wars, and then ally that to his own kind of very fearless way of looking forward and looking to the future of fashion. Collection by collection, Nicola transformed Balenciaga into a house that became the most enthralling expression of fashion that evolved every six months. One of the collections that helped to define Nicolas' signature was only a few years into his tenure at Balenciaga. I think it was the full 2000 show. We call it the shoulder collection. It was that collection with like a, a lot of uh, a jacket with strong shoulders and kind of a skinny pants. But uh, for me, what is important is that show defined one of the Nicolas' strongest and most uh, recurrent silhouettes. This is Vogue fashion director Virginia Smith. He also loved uh, strong shoulders. And I think he felt that that gave women a sense of power, actually. And this is before people were really talking about that as they are today, which seems natural. But, you know, 20 years ago, that was maybe not the case. And when his models walked down the runway, these were powerful women. They looked strong and important. It just looked like these are the clothes you need to wear to get through life. The famous cargo pants became one of Nicolas' most sought-after designs, which made their debut in his spring 2002 show. Here's Nicole Phelps. He made cargo pants into the must-have high fashion moment of the season. This style of pants is synonymous with the 2000s in the US. The legendary pair of cargo pants that Nicolas sent down the runway put Balenciaga on the map. The cargo pants were not very popular in Europe. And I think it was with my fascination with American sportswear, casual wear, in a way. And how, you know, those clothes were sometimes underestimated because they were functional or they were workers' clothes. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's try to revisit. 
yeah, it was really fresh for that time, I think, that collection. There is a side that is extremely effortless in the silhouette. And I think that is really Nicolas, meaning designing clothes that were very strong, but also very wearable at the same time. Nicolas quickly became a thought leader in the fashion industry, someone his peers looked to for forward-thinking design innovation. I think what was really satisfying was uh, that we could feel quite quickly a following of his work and to what point he was shifting the fashion industry in a way, you know. And quickly other designers were referencing his work, you know. So that, I think, it was really uh, satisfying for us. I remember the third show, the fourth show in Paris, Tom Ford and Domenico Desol called me to be a part of Gucci Group at the time, right after this collection. I didn't know if like they were calling for me and for Balenciaga. And actually they were calling for me. They were inviting me to be a part of the group they were creating where uh, Lee McQueen and, and Stella and I think Bodega was already a part of the group. So I was super thankful and, and of course, but it was too hard to let go of Balenciaga very early. I thought it was not honest to leave and, and just abandon the house that gave me so much already. So I told them, I said, if you want me to be a part of the group, I think it should be both of <laughs> both of us. She should try to make the acquisition of Balenciaga and uh, they succeed. Tom Ford and Domenico Sole had enormous success at Gucci. This is Vogue editor Mark Holgate. They decided to buy Yves Saint Laurent. And then I think they thought, well, we should be looking to expand our own portfolio of talents and designers. And I think one by one, they went into partnership with at least three talents, Nicola at Balenciaga. They brought Alexander McQueen and Alexander went to work with the Gucci group as well. And Stella McCartney, when she left Chloe to launch her own label, she also went into partnership with the Gucci group. It's the moment where we really started to see the birth of the, the global luxury conglomerates. And I think we're also seeing, I guess, a sense that for many of these designers, their ability to grow and to diversify their product offerings. If you joined forces with, with someone like a Gucci group or if you were bought by LVMH and also allowed the designers to solidify and expand their businesses. To be a truly global brand, Nicola knew there was one place where he had to make Balenciaga a success. New York City. Stay tuned for Nicola's New York invasion after the break. Hey, Run Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, hand-picked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. Being in New York was important for a French designer. And I was, I found that in New York. I felt that maybe Paris was, of course, great, but that was not enough in a way, in the way of like showing that Balenciaga was not only a French house that was going to be a global house. My dream was to do, to show at the Larry Gagosian Gallery on Chelsea that had just opened. And so, 
I connected with Larry and I went to see him. He was having a drink with some friends and I crashed the drink and I say, hi, I'm Nicola. I'm designing for the house of Balenciaga and I really want to show in your space. And it took him like less than five minutes to say, yeah, all right, you'll get the space. Nicola, this is fine. Nicola charmed his way into the spaces where he knew Balenciaga would shine and his designs, once showcased in them, stood on their own. And so, yeah, so the dream came true. We did that show and I, I still love that, that presentation. I remember Nicolas' show at the Gagosian Gallery. This is Mark Holgate. That was a collection where he showed the aviator jackets with the very, very high collars, uh, worn with these very, very skinny kind of trousers and platform shoes. And it just suddenly looked like the most perfect urban uniform. You're like, okay, that's kind of what every cool girl in New York is going to want to look like. It almost looked like he'd taken jigsaw puzzle pieces of felted or boiled wool fabric and then collaged them together into these incredible dresses that had maybe like a, a knit collar or something as a knit cuff. I mean, they were very daring and innovative. Nicola also designed one of the decade's it bags. Known by many names, the Moto bag, the Lariat bag, it took the fashion world by storm. I designed the bag in 99. Balenciaga was not known to be a house for bags, but everyone was doing bags and I was asked to design the bag. And so I did. And so I consider the bag a part of the silhouette, not just an item. It was different. It was quite casual. It had no logo. Even if they had hardware, it was supple, it was light. It looked vintage, but it was new. But the bag didn't have any success because we didn't have any distribution because, you know, the bag business was blowing and was really like exploding. And and so uh, I left the bag in the studio uh, for a few months and then the girls were coming, models and friends and actresses we were dressing for event. They were all like, oh, we like this thing on the corner of the room. What is it? You know, this little bag. And I was like, well, never mind. It's cool. But like, it's a bag I did a year ago and we, you know, we didn't really sell it because we don't know how to do that. And then I have decided to, to send them this as a gift. One of the lucky few to receive one of the original Lariat bags as a gift from Nicola was fashion photographer Inez van Lanswilde. When Nicola sent me that bag, this was before it had come out. So he very smartly made like 10 of them and sent them to 10 people. And I was one of them. I took it out. I went shopping and people in the shops went crazy here in New York and Soho. Everyone was like, oh my God, you have that bag. Like, how is this possible? You know, I think that was a really early on, like super uh, beginning of all that kind of influencer, quote unquote, idea. And uh, by gifting, you know, these items to to certain people. And it, it really worked because it created a hype because no one could get it. And then there was an explosion in like less than a year. This bag became such a phenomenal thing. And I was super proud. When I think about the thousands really became that time that, you know, all these houses started to make so much money with bags and shoes and for that taken over from ready to wear. And it, I think it just fitted perfectly in this mix of 
half super fashion and half a jean and a t-shirt. Accessories just played a major role and made it extremely accessible. And I think that's also what was so amazing with um, Balenciaga in the beginning too, that if you could get the bag, you had it all. Nicola was building the legacy of Balenciaga and that legacy included a close circle of muses, an intimate group that included Jane Birkin's daughters and French performer Joanna Price, who inspired him to reimagine Parisian glamour. Here's Led Borelli Person. Through Nicola, we met the daughters of Jane Birkin and people like Joanna Price that were their contemporaries. So it was exciting that they were the daughter of a famous style icon, but he made them icons in themselves. And they definitely had more of a rock and roll style. It introduced a whole new generation of a new notion of what the Parisienne could be, much more relaxed and gritty than ladylike, which was sort of the default, you know, the Hermes scarf and the Birkin bag. You could have those things, but you could also wear them with a skinny jean and a clunky boot. The inspiration Nicola drew from his muses derived from his genuine friendships with them. Here's Virginia Smith. You know, a lot of designers talk about muses and to be honest, sometimes it's a bit cringy because they're talking about muses that they don't have a relationship with, that they're just, you know, they've seen pictures of and they love how they look. I think there's a different type of muse that Nicola has. He has relationships with Jennifer Conley and Charlotte and some of his other girls. And I think there's a mutual sort of give and take. They're as inspired by him as he is by them. So it's a real relationship. It's not just based on, you know, seeing pictures out of, you know, books and magazines. It's more based on a personal relationship. I really feel like my relationship with fashion has developed in tandem with my relationship with him. This is actress Jennifer Connolly. And I think it's really kind of because I felt such an affinity for his work and was so moved by his work. I really enjoy being part of his process in whatever way I can be. Shaped by his muses, his eclectic interests, and his meticulous adherence to exquisite construction, Nicola redefined convention and silhouette. He excelled in designing new proportions and challenged the way people thought about wearing and seeing clothes. The success, I think it's a combination from the, the fact that Nicola brought an extremely personal expression to the brand. I think that's super important. And it, uh, for me, it was the perfect fusion of the, on one part, the DNA of Balenciaga with the extreme talent, of course, of Nicola and the extreme talent and vision that Nicola brought from his own universe that uh, exploded the brand. You know, it's really that mixed of the, those two things, you know. Nicola's season-to-season styling evolution took a once-forgotten fashion house and created an enduring legacy. Here's Mark Holgate's perspective. Part of the narrative of the 2000s was eclecticism. It was taking things that didn't sit together and making them work. And this collection that Nicola did, whether it was a bell-shaped jacket, a riding hat, kind of fusion between Herman Munster and was worked incredibly well. He just had a way to, it's that eye of just being able to think, how much can I push it? How much can I reference? 
how much can I take this, twist it, transform it? What, you know, what can I take from here? What can I take from there? Here's photographer Inez van Lamsvierde. That was what his brilliance was at the beginning in the early 2000s, was that he would show the most intricate, crazy designs with literally the best pants on earth that you could wear and feel amazing in. He had complete finger on the pulse of what it meant, like even this idea of a statement jacket with a regular pair of jeans or the way he would combine a certain shoe with the length of a pant. He was very, very smart and talented at understanding how to make something look super fashion, but also you could live your life in it. Once again, Mariam Lee. That is why I love the most at Balenciaga and that I think what corresponds exactly with who I am also is the, that mix of conceptuality and wearability. If we need to define him, for me, it's that. It's that perfect mix of conceptuality and wearability. The designer himself, Nicolas Gasquier. I felt every collection was driving me to another step of development for myself in terms of style, in terms of freedom. Nicole Phelps again. Nicola is a huge talent and he could have turned any house around. His success and Balenciaga's success has less to do with Balenciaga or the heritage of that brand than it does Nicola himself. He is a brilliant designer. The legacy of Nicola Gasquier is one identified by collections designed with intention and integrity. Garments that, like Nicola's career, extended beyond a singular season. I think what you wish at the end is the way people will take your clothes and make them own and wear them with their own best-loved pieces of their wardrobe and how they will transform it and give them another life and another expression. We are there to just, at the beginning, tell a story for a very short moment. And if you like that story, be a part of it. And this story is one with a happy ending. With Nicolas' kiss of talent, he awoke the sleeping fashion house, sparking a renaissance for the atelier and restoring its domain over the industry and making it the toast of Paris. Season after season, his unique vision fused the past with the future, allowing Balenciaga to become a global brand of the decade. When I look back at my time at Balenciaga, I'm, I'm thankful for what it made me become and what yeah, the opportunity it has given me to express in a bigger way now, in a more, you know, in a bigger scale, in the way of talking to more people. It gave me all the fundamentals to be ready to, to be who I am today at Louis Vuitton. Today, fashion's recurring motifs that harken back to the 2000s show that nostalgia is having a moment. Along with Nicolas Lariat bag, Younger generations are taking 2000 style and reinventing it for the 2020s. To properly pay homage to the Y2K look, one must understand where it all began. Next week, we'll hear from two designers who defined LA style in the first decade of the millennium and how they changed the very fabric of the decade. In Vogue, the 2000s, is presented by Anna Winter, 
and produced by Vogue in partnership with Pod People. Production support by Jacqueline Jamjoom, Tony Mantia, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lusby, Frida Lucas, Marie McCoy Thompson, Morgan Foos, Mariah Dennis, Daniel Brunel, Gordon Bramley, Sam Mabata, Nikki Stein, Persia Verlin, and Stephanie Bachara. Theme music composed by DJ Ghostad. Vogue's editorial team is Led Borelli Person, Mark Holgate, Nicole Phelps, and myself, Hamish Bowles. Special thanks to Vogue's creative editorial director, Mark Reducci, VP of Digital Video Programming and Development, Robert Semmer, VP of Audio, Julie Shen, and director of podcasts, Nico Steele. Please do subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information, incredible imagery, and episode references in the show notes or at vogue.com podcast. I'm your host, Hamish Bowles. Until next week, in Vogue.